The Rewatchables is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find a new podcast called R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco. You can also find a new Ringer NBA show on Mondays with Logan Murdoch, Raja Bell. Coming up, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. The Sandlot next. All right, it is Ben Simmons week here on The Rewatchables. We're doing The Sandlot today, and we're doing Teen Wolf on Wednesday. My kid's foot is in a cast. He's just playing video games all day, losing his mind. I'm like, can I do some Rewatchables you might like? And he requested The Sandlot, his favorite movie of all time. I think, is it, where is it for you guys? Is it in the top five? I'm with Mina Kimes and Mallory Rubin here. Uh, Top five for you? Of movies, of movies, period? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like from our childhood. It is in the top four childhood baseball movies, meaning movies that are about <laughs> children playing baseball and that came out during my childhood. But that's a very specific genre. I would say that I have my overall Mount Rushmore of baseball films, which we've talked about before, you know, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, The Natural, League of Their Own. You know, Moneyball, a couple others just missing the cut. My kids' baseball movie, Mount Rushmore, all from the 93-94 era. Mm. Rookie of the year, Mm. obviously. Little Big League, a classic. Angels in the Outfield, and then The Sandlot. That's my kids' baseball movie, Mount Rushmore. Mina? It's definitely on my kid movie. I'll, I'll... widen my scope a little bit. Mm. Kid movie, Mount Rushmore. And it's interesting Mm. to hear Mallory, like, lay out what was a golden age of sports children's cinema. Yeah, Um, an important time. Not just baseball movies, right? Mighty Ducks. Little Giants. Little Giants. Yeah. Big Green. Ladybugs. I mean, just in a four to five year period, all of those movies came out. I think Little Big League is the one where Ken Griffey Jr. is a villain, though, right? I remember being upset about that. Which we'll which one was the one where he broke his arm? That's Rookie of the Year? Rookie of the That's Year. That's Rookie of the Year. Yeah. That yeah. one's good. That one's really That's a good. special movie. My theory on what happened was they ran out of ideas for sports movies somewhere around like 1989, 1990. They did every version of the Rocky movie. They did every sport. They just did every, they took it as far as you can go. And then they kind of looked around and said, hey, what about little kids? Bad News Bears <laughs> did really well in 1976. The right. sequel did well too. What if we just start making little kids movies? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were pretty good. And mm-hmm. I don't know, Mighty Ducks versus Mighty Ducks 2. There's been arguments about that, which is superior, but I think both are good. We have in this movie, Benny the Jet also ends up in Mighty Ducks 2, the rare hockey baseball. He's kind of the Omar Epps of, of child sports movies. <laughs> but um, I didn't really realize the power of this one until my son started getting into it when he was like six or seven. And mm-hmm. He knows every line. It just hits all the notes. It's innocent. It's flawed. Uh, I think it's probably the best one. I got to say, I, I would put it first out of all the kids' sports movies. The The only other one I would put near it is Bad News Bears of Breaking Training, which mm-hmm. I think has held up just wonderfully and centers around mm-hmm. an entire team driving in a van from California, being driven by a 13-year-old <laughs> and, <Right>. and just <laughs> finding his estranged father and they play in the Astrodome and uh, it's just gone. It's gone great. Uh, Mallory, does this yes. movie make you cry? Only, yeah, a couple. Well, not in the way that I typically do during movies, but I do get emotional a couple, a couple times. It, 
It just kills me when the fence falls on Hercules. I can't can't stand it. I can't handle it. I wish it didn't happen. I actually think that it had been a long time since I'd seen The Sandlot, and I'm not sure if it's just the product of my generally failing memory as I age or if this was the, the product of me repressing something bad happening to an animal in a film, but I had kind of forgotten about that part of it, how the pickling sequence ends there, at least temporarily. And uh, it was very painful to watch that. I also just the the entire sequence with Mr. Myrtle at the end is very emotional. Very James Earl Jones, huh. a, cro- a baseball movie crossover for him. He did Field of That's Dreams right. like three, four years earlier. We have a couple Field of Dreams crossovers in this one, of course. Chick Gandalf becoming the babe. Right. You two are a whole generation younger than me. When this movie came out, it was 30 years. It's set in 1962. Mm-hmm. So it's like basically 30 years later. The mystique of Babe Ruth, I think, still really existed in the early 90s. And he was the greatest baseball player of all time and stuff. Hmm. Mina, for your generation, th- is there still like, does Babe Ruth still kind of have that impact or was it fading by then? You know, the so I was eight when this movie came out. I'm 34 now. And Babe Ruth was kind of his, the legend of Babe Ruth was concretized for my generation by this movie in, mm. in the way a lot of, there's a lot of things in this movie um, that became important to kids my age because of the movie, which we can talk about all those things. But I don't think I cared about Babe Ruth that much until the film. And then rewatching it, it struck me that this is a group of, I guess, fifth into sixth graders who it, it's 1962 and they're talking about a baseball player from the 1930s, which is kind of weird. That would have been like me that age talking about like Johnny Betch or something instead of King Griffey Jr. So it doesn't really, it's a little strange that they're so nostalgic for him. Yeah. You would have thought they would have moved on to Mickey Mantle by now. I guess the, the comparison would be like kids right now with Michael Jordan. Right. So yes. it almost like if the last dance had come it's out true. about Babe Ruth in 1993. But yeah, I I just think baseball, especially in 62, the Babe, I think, lingered. He's the most famous athlete of the first half century, right? So he lingers in a way that I just think there's no comparison to now. Like we basically had Michael Jordan for this generation. I don't think it was nearly as big because back then it was like baseball by far the number one sport. There's some football. There's not really basketball. Like 1962, Bill Russell's kicking ass, but uh, basketball is not taking off yet. Hockey's a regional sport with like six teams. So the Bay, but it was almost like those, like Portland, how Portland only has the Blazers and they all the people care about them like four times as much as a city with multiple teams. Um, Mal, how do you feel about the baseball in this movie? The baseball that the kids play, the yeah. baseball history that they tap into. All as a of the baseball, above. as a baseball purist, how are you feeling about it? You know, I found myself assessing the sabermetrics of some of Benny the Jets' managerial tactics. Of course, hard mm-hmm. not to think about how he's positioning his defense, etc. Um, you know, I <laughs> I do think we could we could spend multiple minutes breaking down whether he is actually safe when he steals home as an At adult Dodger. But huh. we can we can maybe save that for picking nits or unanswerable questions. Let's let's definitely <laughs> I had it written down. I, I it yeah. seemed like he was out on the instant <laughs> I, I replay some, review. I I actually yeah. called him out. Yeah, I agree. I have I have some uh, some notes on whether that that holds up in the instant replay era. In general, there is this 
central element to opting into the story of the film, which is that it's not actually about how they're playing, right? Yeah. It's not about, like we hear uh, from the adult Smalls narration, the game was just eternal. It just went on and on and on. You know, <laughs> are they even keeping score? It's not really about the strategy or the tactics. It's just about, one, being out there with your friends, two, soaking up summer, and three, letting Benny practice <laughs> as he makes abundantly clear multiple times throughout the film. He just needs a nine-man team. He needs to be able to rotate positions. He needs to get into his fungo routine and hit the ball wherever he wants to to perfect all of his specific batting approaches. I do like the way that they inject real-world baseball history into the movie. It feels like a very delicate and precise balance. And, you know, Mina and I are, are the, the same age. And it, this came out April of 93. April so 93, was, yeah. Right. So I'm early in elementary school. And I love baseball already. I'm learning, you know, I know who Babe Ruth is. Proud son of Baltimore, right? I've heard stories from my dad. But just like little things, seeing all of the pennants in the the various bedrooms or trophy rooms or Bill's study, it was enough to intrigue you. It was enough to make you feel educated and want to learn more, but it never felt overwhelming. And I actually think that's a pretty hard thing to pull off. And one of the things that I enjoyed most about rewatching this movie as an adult and one of the things that I think appealed to me most as a kid, if you care about baseball, you really feel like you're soaking that up, but it, it, it never felt like encyclopedic in, in its heavy handedness. Well. Think about the timing, right? April '93, Mina. The we're we're fifteen months away from the lockout strike. Was it a lockout or a strike? I can't even remember. Whatever happened, baseball stops. Yeah, baseball yeah. stops in '94. <laughs> comes back and eventually has the whole steroids era. So, baseball's still pretty innocent at this point. You also have at yes. this point, Griffey. I think had already played with his dad, right? In Seattle and that whole, you have that whole arc. You have Frank Thomas is hitting it big. You have this whole new generation of, of people that we loved. And it just felt like baseball was unbreakable and movies like this made so much sense. And now the last 27 years, and you think of all the damage, even right, right now where we might not have a season. Yeah. Now I watch this movie, I'm like, man, remember when we just loved baseball and we didn't pick it apart? Yeah. I think this was before Griffey went to Cincinnati. Oh, it was well dad. before. But, but this was this was a peak time to be a Seattle Maris fan in the yeah. early 1990s, right? Beyond just Griffey. But um, yeah, it, it's a very purist interpretation of baseball. Even cutting to what Mallory said about the structure of the film and the fact that very little baseball is actually played in it. I don't think you ever see like an inning, a completion of a play, like the way it's shot. Even when they have um, the showdown with the bad rich the kids, Tigers. Yeah. That's, that's like an act two right, yeah. of the film, and it's totally besides the point. Like the other baseball movies you mentioned, Rookie of the Year, Little Big League, there's a big game or like a playoff, or mm-hmm. this, there's no sense of winning or losing in the Sandlot, um, which I think is that is the purest view of like the extreme purest view of baseball is that it's about process and enjoying it and yes. community the game and Ritual. how dare you try to make it shorter and you know increase offense or whatever in the sandlot which of course is a, a childhood as reimagined by an adult i think is like an encapsulation of that view Mallory is this a kids movie or a sports movie 
both. You had to pick I one. See no, I see no reason why they need to be mutually exclusive. You know, well, I don't I'm like to you pick, pick things. Pick one. Is it a kids movie or a sports movie? Because I actually feel like it's more of a kids movie. I, I, If you made me pick, I would say that it is a, a movie about childhood and about the nostalgia for something from your youth. Something specific, but also kind of amorphous, like the sensation of what summertime and youth was. It actually... Obviously, this was never something I had thought about when, when watching it as a kid because this comp I'm about to make didn't exist at the time. I found myself thinking a lot about Stranger Things when I was rewatching it the other mm-hmm. night. And I was thinking about Stand By Me because we had just watched it, but same, same kind of thing, like kids that age. Yeah, yeah like obviously Stranger no Things. No parents. Is- <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about the parenting in this movie. I cannot Totally wait. irrelevant. But, you know, obviously Stranger Things is, uh, there's a, a mythology at play and there's a, a, a fantasy element to it that is not present mm-hmm. in the in the Sandlot aside from the legend and myth-making around the beast. But that sensation of, you know, you could, you could feel the sun beating down on your skin. You can like smell the chlorine in the pool and the sunscreen lotion. You could almost hear what your own neighborhood ice cream truck would have sounded like when it pulled down your street on a summer afternoon. And that aspect of it feels timeless and eternal in a way that many other elements of the movie do not at all. And so that is why ultimately if you made me pick, I would say it's a movie. It's a it's a kid's movie and a movie about childhood more than anything You agree, else. Mina? Baseball is just the vessel. I agree. I think the Stranger Things comparison is really apt because it's much more about like a group of kids than any one kid. There's not really characterization, right? <laughs> or interiority. Um and I also think it does the same thing Stranger Things does, which is it captures that feeling when you're a kid when literally everything is the most important thing in the world. Right. And everything is life or death and the stakes are so high. And it's like, this is a movie about a ball going over a fence. That's it. (laughs) And these kids turn it into like this great adventure of a lifetime. It's obviously a distorted memory, but I remember that. Like, that's what I was nostalgic for when I watched this movie is that feeling of a kid in your world being so small. And and that sense of belonging that you get from whatever specific thing in your life or your neighborhood, your town gave that to you, right? And and I think right. so many of the things that hold up well in the film, uh, baseball is certainly at the heart of the movie, but it's those elements of baseball. Again, it's like, what makes you want to come together with people who you love or you want to get to know and share something and celebrate something? And this idea of mythologizing your heroes, building legends, building myths, and taking something like, you know, again, there's the the the, the Hercules name comp between the the beast and the the babe, taking something that you would see and you would revere when you witnessed it elsewhere in the world in Major League Baseball or anywhere else, and then trying to miniaturize it and apply it to your neighborhood and your life by like breathing that kind of aura and essence into something around you. There's like a never-ending story element to that that I just love so much too. It's so fun. I really like, and this has only happened a couple of times with these kind of movies, the kid who is just so much better than everybody else like kind of the the legend in the making where yes. all these kids revere Babe Ruth, but they also kind of revere Benny the Jet. And Bad News, oh, yeah. Bad News Bears in the sequel had that too with Kelly Leak, where he was just the coolest kid. And he's, dri- he's driving, uh, <laughs> in the first one, he's driving around a moped, he's smoking cigs. In the second one, he's driving the van. He's just cooler than everybody else. Right. They do a really nice job with Benny the Jet mm-hmm. where he's cooler than everybody else, but he's also not a dick. And he's like, 
weirdly thoughtful and really looks out for kids, looks out for smalls. And then you guys have some other thoughts on Benny and the Jet. I'll I'll stay out, stay out of the way. sure do. Mina, any thoughts on Benny the Jet other than what I just said? (laughs) He's an empath and it is remarkable to watch and perhaps unrealistic (laughs) for a child to be that mature and empathetic. Um, Mallory, before we talk about our childhood feelings Mm -hmm. about Benny the Jet, like what are the, the standards here? Because- it's obviously inappropriate to have this. Like, I want. I'm. I want to mm-hmm. speak as eight year old Mina, who yeah. this is probably my first cinematic crush. So I'd say let's typically we'll, we'll turn on the, the rewatchables, there are no standards, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, turn off the creep sign. It. You guys are talking as little kids now, not adult women. Okay, he was flawless, <laughs> <laughs> and as an adult watching, totally holds up. Not disappointed at all. Yeah, he's. I don't think it is exaggerating to say that he's like a formative seminal crush for a person of a certain age. He was a very important figure in our lives and our peers' lives. Very important figure. Even the way he dressed, man. Like, as Mallory and I talked about this, we both basically dress now like kids in the Sandlot for realizing that is definitely our current wardrobe. Striped shirts, jeans, like Chuck Taylors via Madewell. But um, (laughs) Benny, like the... First of all, I don't know how he played and ran in those jeans, but like the open shirt with the Dodgers hat and the cuffed jeans, like I feel like I dated guys in Williamsburg in like 2008 who dressed like that. He <laughs> yeah. looks so cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the look is timeless. Well, you also had Jared Leto in uh, My So-Called Life like a year later. Jordan Catalano. You had Talk the 902 guys. There's this whole generation of, of crush guys and Benny the Jet's kind of in there, even though he was young, even though he was illegal. But I think for the 14 and under generation, definitely was, but, you know, iconic. But I feel like young boys also had like boy crushes on him. Oh, no too. question. Like any, I'm sure your son was like, this is the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. Ever, he's, he even is yeah. like a dad to them when Adored. they go to the carnival and he's like, it's on me. I'm like, how <laughs> What are you, like, a year older than them? This doesn't make any sense. Well, he also has the ability to walk around while carrying extra hats and gloves in his ass. He could just <laughs> pull them out randomly, whoever needs a glove or a hat. Um, so the movie was inspired by uh, a childhood experience of the brother of writer-director David Mickey Evans because uh, he had some older boys, wouldn't let him play baseball with them. They lost the ball over a brick wall. He tried to get on their good side by retrieving it for them, but he hopped the wall, found a giant dog named Hercules, and got bitten. Mm. So mm-hmm. he turned that into um, into basically a movie. Came out in April '93, $7 million budget, made $34 million. Mm. And then VHS and DVD sales estimated to be at $76 million. We had That's a couple wild. sequels. Do we acknowledge the sequels? Where do you stand on the sequels? I. Mm. I'll be curious to see what happens with the Disney Plus series, but I can't say that the Sandlot 2 is a a big part of my personal Sandlot experience. (laughs) It was a funny... It it was a funny uh, sequel virginity loss for my my son, who just assumed... It was like, the Sandlot 2, that'll be great. I love the Sandlot 1, not realizing that sequels are really never as good as the original, but especially in this case where... You have none, none of the guys from the first movie. Right. There's like a James Earl Jones cameo. And then they made a third one with Luke Perry that uh, I don't think we talk about. Roger Ebert, three stars, compared the movie to a summertime version of A Christmas Story. 
and told a whole story about this Benny the Jet play and said, quote, I realized how completely this movie had seduced me with its memories of what really matters when you're 12. Raj getting deep. It's a it's a great Same. a great Raj review. He has a couple real real bangers in here. Lust is balanced by terrors. I mean, if that's not childhood in a nutshell, I don't know what is, right? That's the essence yeah. of a coming of age tale. Memories are sharper, colors are brighter, events are more important, and a life can be changed forever in the course of a sunny afternoon. <laughs> it's interesting to hear Amazing. it made so much money later. Um, I guess it's not surprising given that it's kind of a timeless kids movie. I'm sure the VHS sales were like off the chart for decades. I think half of that money has to come from substitute teachers wheeling in the TV, right? Oh, uh, during class, Sandlot, October Sky, Remember the Titans. <laughs> There's like a specific genre. I watched it many times in elementary school. There's a, oh, yeah. it, it hits that blockbuster run where blockbuster from basically 90 to 99 is unassailable. So it has that. <laughs> then it has the, you bought it in VHS, but then DVDs become a thing and you're like, well, I got to get it on DVD. Right. So kind of doubles up on that. And a movie you can really throw on for anybody, I would say age, maybe four and a half to five. As soon as the kids have the attention span to watch a movie, if they, if they like sports at all, Mm-hmm. In any way, they'll like this movie because it's little kids trying to pull off something. That's always going to work as a, a movie. We're going to take a quick break, then we're going to do the categories. Let's talk about Blue Apron. Home cooking matters now more than ever. Blue Apron takes the guesswork out of dinner, and we mean more than just deciding what to eat. You can know your ingredients are being prepared and packaged with the highest attention to quality and safety, and with their commitment to transparency and reducing waste, Blue Apron has your back. In more ways than one, feel good about your food and your environmental impact with Blue Apron. The first meal kit to partner with How to Recycle, which is committed to transparency and reducing waste. Over 85% of Blue Apron packaging is recyclable. 41% of the packaging materials are made from recycled content. Also, the first meal kit company to transition to drain-safe, fully recyclable ice packs. So feel good about your choices. Create delicious meals at home with Blue Apron. You know what's fun? Cooking meals in your own house so you don't have to go anywhere right now. Prices start as low as $7.49 per serving. And again, you don't have to leave your house. They'll bring the food to you. Stay at home. Do that anyway. Don't sacrifice flavor. Don't settle for boring meals. Find comfort in the kitchen with Blue Apron and enjoy delicious home-cooked meal. Check out this week's menu and get $30, repeat, $30 off across your first two deliveries when you visit blueapron.com slash rewatch. Once again, that is blueapron.com slash rewatch. Blue Apron, feed your soul. All right, most rewatchable scene in the Sandlot. I have uh, seven nominees. Wow. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> are there even seven scenes in this movie? Yeah, it's like? Well, the three really matter, and then the other ones are thrown. The first Sandlot scene, I just like when he does the when he join when Smalls joins the Sandlot and he's a disaster, but he does the don't be a goofus, don't be a goofus. <laughs> Kale, get it! Get it. Don't be a goofus. Don't be a goofus. Don't be a goofus. When he makes his first catch, when Benny hits the 220-foot rope right into his glove, 
And then he immediately learns how to throw. It's it's a miracle. He he couldn't throw Paper the ball out. two feet and threw like like he had was missing an elbow or something. Like he'd had the worst Tommy John surgery ever and just figured it <laughs> out immediately. You ever have a paper out? I helped a guy once. Okay. Well, chuck it like you would throw a paper. When your arm gets here, just let go. Just let go. It's that easy. Yeah, but Benny just, again, he has a sense for these things. He was able to unlock whatever was inhibiting Smalls by saying, you ever had a paper out? You know, like this is the this is the thing. You tap into something that's already a part of who you are. And that way it doesn't feel like this monumental hurdle, this new thing you have to learn. It's already there inside of you. You just have to find it. Mm. And his, Benny basically did what his stepdad couldn't do, right? Who, by the way, is a terrible no. dad played by Dennis Leary. And no. I am convinced- hit him in the face on purpose so he had, could stop playing catch with him. Oh, my God. It's it's an early 60s <laughs> what dad. What a dick. Oh, no. I think that the early 60s dads were just a little different. Not good Hanks. Rough Hanks. <laughs> rough to be married to. Rough <laughs> if you were a little kid. Uh, didn't really care about anybody. Next uh, rewatchable scene, you mentioned the big game against the rivals. I actually wanted a little more from this scene, but I really liked it. They really could have built that up into a... 10 minute monster scene, but mm. I, it's a surprising swerve where you think they're going to get their asses kicked and it actually goes the other way. They just kill that team. It's also just a remarkable showing from ham. That's you really know, what the, it's about. Yeah. Right? The, the, the buildup to the actual game, the, the trash talking between ham and Phillips has a couple what's age, the worst contenders in it, which I'm sure we'll get to in a few minutes. But when you actually get out onto the diamond and ham is just back there, like channeling, a Bull Durham spirit from mm. <laughs> an older generation to distract the batter, get in their heads. The way that he's able to just manipulate the strike zone and the batter's eye, it's, it's, it's so funny. It's great. You know, if my dog was as ugly as you, I'd shave his butt and tell him to walk backwards. The heater. Here it comes. I dare you. Strike three, you're up. Hey, is that your sister out there in left field, naked? She's naked. Shut up, Porter! Hey, 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 I'm just trying to have a little friendly conversation. Come on. What do you? What major league player would you compare Ham to? Like a, like a like John Crook. <laughs> like an early Pudge Rodriguez cross with John Crook. <laughs> um, I went to a Dodgers game. I told you guys this. And it was Sandlot like not Sandlot Night, which I didn't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And the original cast members that haven't been arrested, which is a shrinking yeah, group, some- showed up, which we can talk about. <laughs> tough, it's coming uh, up later. Tough stuff there. <laughs> but the, the, Ham, the great Hambino, was there. He looks exactly the same. Like yeah. I, I'm sure he gets recognized all the time. And I thought his performance aged terrifically like yeah. the line deliveries agree. so good he's like great kid like the rest of the kid actors are not very good he is excellent and in that particular scene um he has the shaved dog line yeah about like yeah. if i if yeah if uh, my dog was ugly as you i would shave his yeah. butt and tell him to walk backwards it's hilarious like his yeah <laughs> he, he's so good in it and and i thought based on that scene in this movie that that was part of being a catcher like in baseball mm-hmm. you just talk trash the entire game Mm-hmm. Totally because of this performance. Yeah, now if you did that, you'd be admonished for not for <laughs> trying to make baseball more fun. 
They probably suspend you for two days. Uh, Smalls, next scene, Smalls homers with the Babe Ruth ball, mm-hmm. which is this great moment, but then realizes, oh shit. We find out he doesn't know who Babe Ruth is, which I just refuse to believe in 1962. That's like not knowing who Elvis is. It's completely, unless he was like the kid in the room, just living in like a cellar and not having no human <laughs> contact. I just don't see how he was just completely oblivious to Babe Ruth. Makes no sense. But um has some good quotes in there where where I think Ham says, the great Bambino. <laughs> the Sultan of Swat. The King of Crash. The Colossus of Clout. The Colossus of Clout. Babe Ruth. The great Bambino. Oh my God, you mean that's the same guy? And then uh, less than a God, more than a man. It's just, it's quote central for that scene. Yeah. The pool scene, not, I. it's uh, one of those things that loses its shock value each time you see it. And now it's kind of like, eh. But first time I thought, uh, I thought was effective. The mm-hmm. triple vacuum explosion I have. And then, uh, mm-hmm. and then Benny steals the ball from the beast. I have that as the, as the seven, when Benny finally pulls it off at the end. I'm missing anything. So, Amazingly, we've gone from, oh my God, you have seven picks. Are there even seven scenes in the movie? To, I think I have five <laughs> that you didn't mention just now. We'll pick two good ones. stuff. Well, I love the Legend of the Beast sequence, story time, camp out, you know, in the treehouse. Mm. The yes. s'mores lesson, the you're killing me smalls line. Of course, an iconic that's the moment. First. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that should be in, in the there. film. Good call. Just the essence of summer friendship and childhood right there. And I think the actual retelling of the Beast origin story from Squints is just, I mean, it's obviously like so deliberately campy and overly stylized, but it it is just really fun and effective. And I think given the spirit of the exercise, it is fun to rewatch because of how much is playing out on screen as the audio is playing, you know, this, this kind of grainy black and white footage, these exaggerated angles and facts about how many kids have been eaten and everything. And then the, you know, squints and he grew big and he grew mean. I just, <laughs> if that's on, I'm going to stop and watch for a few minutes. I think, you know, you mentioned, Bill, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to count this as one of my additional picks. It's supplemental. You mentioned the vacuum sequence. I think the entire ball retrieval sequence really holds up. And I much agree. like, you know, the whole spirit of the movie has a little bit of a, which character, you know, which member of the Sandlot crew are you and which one do you want to be friends with? There's that. Uh, you could apply that question to the ball retrieval sequence too. Like, which was your favorite? Which would have been the one you tried? Like, maybe Mina is the the bungee jumper. You know, I am uh, personally yeah, yeah. very fond of the Smalls erector set attempt. You know, the, yeah. the moment when the beast comes in and snaps the ball oh, from midair is fabulous, but also- An amazing the, the, erector set. Oh, remarkable. I, I mean, and, for 1962, those kids were really stepping it up. Well, he, so that's part of what I like about it so much is, you know, to, to, to go back to the earlier part in the film where Smalls' own mother shames him for being inventive and smart and to see him bring that out with all of these, these kids who didn't accept him at first and how all of these aspects of his life are kind of coalescing very organically in that moment. I actually think that's like really I don't want to overstate the poetry of it, but like kind of impactful quietly. Um, what other scenes? Benny and Small. No, we're good. We've mentioned to, nine scenes. We're good. Benny and Small speaking no. to Mr. Myrtle, the Babe Ruth dream suite sequence. These I are, have it these coming up. I have it coming up on what stage is the best. Mina, what do you have for most rewatchable? Um, 
I have okay, so I love the scene where he's integrated into the team and Benny basically hits it directly to mm-hmm. him because it was like that perfect display of both skill and empathy that we've been talking about. And mm. in one scene, you learned everything about this person. And I got emotional because watching kids be nice to each other makes me emotional because <laughs> it's right. so rare because they're terrible. And um, so that that I think also was when my crush was concretized. But the peppercorn scene, which I'm sure we'll get to when we talk about things that have aged poorly. Um, sure. There are moments in that, though, that are absolutely hilarious. The, the performance from Squints, when he turns and looks at them, I, I died laughing again. And then, of course, was aghast for reasons we talk about. But um, it's so funny. Like, his performance of it is so, so funny. It's, I don't know. I laughed a lot. Oh, also, um, the, the the dip scene, which neither of you have mentioned. I actually yeah. really, because I'm a, a plebe and I think physical comedy is funny when the kids are all puking at the carnival, at the tequila. And it's going, yeah. it's so stupid, but I laughed. My only thing, so, the only reason I didn't include that is it, it just felt this movie rips off some other movies pretty shamelessly. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty blatant, we need our stand by me puke scene. And they kind of just worked mm-hmm. it in. Um, I don't know. It was only like seven years after it. I have, I have for most rewatchable. I love when, uh, when he hits the homer with the Babe Ruth bell and that that's whole great. reaction and them just going all the beats, all the quotes, them trying to figure out how they can get it. But I just think it's really good. It's a really good five minutes. What do you have, Mouse? Uh, I think that's that's a good pick too because I think the other main contenders spawn directly from that. You know, mm. the ball retrieval attempt, Benny pickling the beast, which is painful for me as mentioned before, and then the ultimate conversation with Mister Myrtle and realizing that this person who. You know, again, like one of the, I think, subtly powerful things about the film is that you you have these moments where, like, uh, there's a little bit of a Boo Radley to kill a mockingbird thing going on here. Mm. You know, these these people in your neighborhood who you think you can't approach and are, are uh, made to, to uh, be a certain way in the stories that children tell, and there's something really hateful and wrong about that. And seeing that, they could just go in there and have a conversation and then he can invite them over to talk about baseball with him once a week. And it's just like a person who wants to have a conversation about a thing he loves. And I really like that emotional note at the near the end of the film. So all of those are kind of looped together in my mind, even though it probably covers 40 minutes and five separate scenes. The 27 Yankees ball is a pretty nice exclamation point. Great stuff. And they're like, Luke Eric, uh, what's age the best? Mention the legend of Babe Ruth. The s'mores monologue is kind of a thing with kids. These are s'more stuff. Okay, pay attention. First, you take the gram. You stick the chocolate on the gram. Then, you roast the mallow. When the mallow's flaming, you stick it on the chocolate. Then, you cover it with the other end. Here, make me one of those. Yeah, me too. Then you scuff. I don't like that chocolate. Like, this is one my Wonderful. son knew by the time he was eight. We would make s'mores. He would do the whole monologue. I think that's lived on. I think it has had a whole new YouTube life. And really? it's just going to keep going. Yeah. I think when it's the iconic s'mores monologue. Like, what, <laughs> does it have competition? <laughs> 
It's, it's an incredible scene because the way it's set up, Ham is kind of like he has like a station, like he's a caterer at a wedding, like, you know, at a ceviche bar. He's like all set up there. It never explains it or anything. <laughs> and ceviche I wrote bar. down a list of things that this movie taught me about as a kid, again, eight years old. And s'mores was number one. I didn't know s'mores were a thing until I watched this movie. I mean, what a great thing to learn. Used. So many things. Um, s'mores, tree houses. I'd never had a tree house. I thought it was amazing. Telling a scary story while holding a flashlight under your chin. Time-tested kid trick that I did not know. You did you not watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? Too, too scary for me. I also wasn't allowed to watch scary things. <laughs> um, the word bitchin'. Cannonballs. The scene mm-hmm. which we skipped over where he, you know, he tells, you think I'm sexy? And then cannonballs into the pool. I thought that was hilarious as a child. Um, and then pickles. This movie, first of all, they say, and then I got in the biggest pickle of my life, maybe yeah. six times in the yeah. film. And At least. This, yeah, it's like a, it's a bit much. But much like Babe Ruth, I think it in like imbued upon a generation of children that pickles were a thing that happened all the time in baseball and are a huge deal, which they're not. I, I just very quickly before we move on from the s'mores, I just want to say it's a wonderful scene. I love it. However, you got to let the chocolate melt a little bit more. Agree. You just have to. Like you're, you're, you're heating the malo, <laughs> as he says. <laughs> and then he just, he puts it on, assembles it, and then bites right in. Like, let that soften up. Let that all really come mm. together. I, I, I just, it pains me to think that that was Smalls' first bite of a s'mores before the chocolate properly melted. <laughs> I knew Mallory was going to restrain herself during the Benny the Jet conversation, but I knew the s'mores conversation. <laughs> you would go all out on that one. I, The thing with s'mores is that so rarely does it actually come out perfectly because everybody gets so excited yeah. to eat the s'more. Yeah. They don't do all the little tiny things that make it like seven times better than it is, but people just want to rush the s'more. It's like, oh, the marshmallow looks melted and then they're eating it. <laughs> You can't it's like rush the patience. It's about the effort and the process. Yeah. Right? It's seen in the movie. It's yeah, <laughs> good one. Um thanks. The uh, for what's age the best, I just have I wrote Wendy Peppercorn down because it's just that classic old no. school, the one beautiful person, <laughs> the one beautiful person in the town or the lifeguard or the person who works at the drugstore. And all of these movies have it, right? <laughs> this one who like it, it kind of ascends over everybody else. And becomes this legend. But uh, I like the name, Wendy Peppercorn. I thought was a really good, oh man, remember remember that girl that worked as the lifeguard, Wendy Peppercorn? Like, I don't know how they came up with that, but I like the name. Should we save our follow-ups for what's age the worst or should we yes. just do it all right I had, now? We, we had, no, no, we're okay. saving it. Save um, it. Okay. All right, we'll get to it. Ham Porter, mm-hmm. aka the great Ham Bino. Yeah. It's amazing he didn't get nominated for an Oscar. I think it was totally, <laughs> could have been totally justified. He yeah, is in a different it. movie. He's so good oh. in this movie. He's like Robin <laughs> totally. Williams in Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> He's carrying <laughs> scenes at a time. Oh and it's kind of hard to believe he didn't become a bigger star. He's like amazing. Like when I say my son loves Ham Porter, like this is one of his favorite characters ever. He's got the right insults. Yeah. He's got that mischievous twinkle in his eye. He's a good athlete. I just love him. He's revelatory yeah. that I wrote actually in my notes. Ham walked so Jonah Hill could run. You can't uh, have Jonah Hill without the proto Jonah Hill 
which is ham poison. And the world wasn't ready for him to be like no. an A-list star, despite his obvious acting talent at the time. But the world's ready now. We got Hill, we got Rogan. And it's a shame, honestly, because you're right. The performance is, it holds up. It's actually the best performance in the entire film. Wait oh, a second. Yeah. So you're saying Ham Porter paves the way for the Judd Apatow comedies. I like it. I Expand the take. I love it. No, it's great. Because you're right. If if the whole Judd Apatow infrastructure is in place in the 90s, Ham, about four years later, he's in Superbad. Totally. And then it's just he's going. A, and Ham's a major he, star. He's an A-plus lister. He is in so many films where he's dating women who are way too attractive for him yeah. in this alternate universe where he becomes a thing later. Um, he's excellent. Great job, Ham. I also have, uh, I just really like James Earl Jones. He has a very high PER for me. Anytime he like. pops in a movie, I'm happy. He's just it's been great. really good in a lot of different things. And he's had such a great career, but- in Field of Dreams, he's so angry when you first meet him first couple of times. And then when the switch flips and he's like happy, he's happy, Terrence Mann. I just I just like hanging out with James Earl Jones. So it made me happy to see him. And then the other one I had for What's Age the Best. I love that Kenny's rocking the Kansas City Monarchs hat. Yeah. It's a little subtle, but it, it's like they did a nice job with that. I still don't understand why Kenny, was he officially pitching? What was going on with him? Like he's- at the mound, but Benny's hitting fungos. Like I, I, I didn't really understand that part, but I liked, I liked how he looked. Yeah, the the monarchs hat is great, and you know the the filmmaker has given some interviews over the years about the Thelonious Myrtle character, James Earl Jones's character, and obviously he was a a player in the Negro League. So having that incorporated into the film is you know important, obviously, and. There's a New York Times Richard Sandmere uh, article from, I think, from right when the film came out back in 93, uh, where they he explains the the kind of, because confu- there was confusion around the comment about, oh, George, and, you know, obviously, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball in, in 47, and a couple of quotes from that article, I think, are illuminating. What the film does not explain is that major leaguers used to barnstorm in the offseason with players from the Negro Leagues, according to John Hallway, a Negro League historian. Ruth, quote, Ruth played against Negro Leaguers in Cuba, all over New Jersey, and out west in Kansas City and St. Louis. I just figured he was basically Josh Gibson, even though he wasn't Josh Gibson, but somebody like that. The Myrtle. I found it really confusing in the movie, Mallory. I mean, I... I the explanation makes total sense, but there's the scene at the end. I guess we're kind of this is what age the worst for me when uh, Myrtle is sitting with Smalls and he's like, "Yeah, and you know, I, I was excellent." And then you know what happened? And Smalls is like, "You went blind." I'm like, "No, wait, what?" I thought he was going to say, "You're black, right?" And then you weren't allowed to play, and and so it was kind right. of a feint that I actually found confusing. And then when they cut to him, like the photos of him, you see he's not wearing major league jerseys, and the explanation right. does make sense. But you know the the film is pretty whitewashed. Yeah, right? you wish like, that that it, had it never. Been, yeah, you wish that explained. that had been incorporated <laughs> and addressed directly more fully in the movie because it is such an important part of the history of the sport. I think they probably had that conversation and looked at each other and was and were like, "This is a movie about s'mores and and a crazy dog with superhuman strength, and maybe we'll avoid the Negro League subplot." I'm with you guys though. I I think they. I think they easily could have addressed it in like 30 seconds. Easily. Like I was the star. We used to have the Negro Leagues. You know, blacks weren't allowed to even play baseball until 1947. 
but we were hoping every year we would have that chance. I was like, you could have, it was 22 seconds. It's done and, and you do it. Right. But the, the other, I mean, that, there were a few moments in the film where you kind of, I know it's supposed to, it takes place in like the Valley or something, suburban LA, I think. Right? I couldn't it's tell. I, I, did, I don't know if we really got a full answer. Something Dodgers related though. So somewhere in California, yeah. but I don't know where. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be, supposed to be in San Fernando Valley, though they film it in Utah. I mean, the, the scene at the pool, I was thinking about that because there's only one non-white or one black kid, because Benny is Rodriguez, on the team. And I was thinking about that. Okay, this is 1961. You know, a lot of pools around the country were not integrated. This was before the Civil Rights like Act. So, um, again, it's not necessarily a rewriting of history because this is California. Who knows? But it did feel like, okay, we're just not going to address any of this. This is an idyllic town. Right. Race is not a factor here and then later on in the film. I have for Woods Age the best ham porter, aka the great Hambino. I think it's 27 years since we met this spectacular human being and he gets better every year. What do you have, Mel? Uh, I think, you know, on the ham front, just the nicknames in general. It's a great movie for nicknames. Um, we already talked about that genre of early to mid 90s kids baseball and kids sports movies and and the the Sandlot's place in that. I think that's probably my pick. I would also just note the film's fashion again, which Mina already brought up a couple mm. times, you know, the the the, the retro tees very in vogue right now. Pair of jeans, Chuck Taylors or PF Flyers. Wonderful stuff. Love that. What do you have, Mina? <laughs> um I really like the music even though it was incredibly on the nose in every scene, right? Mm. Like the peppercorn scene, this moment, green onions when um, they're playing the bad kids, tequila, wipeout for the chase scenes. Like these yeah. are the most obvious music choices. But a, like when you're a kid, they're also the perfect music choices. And they, when I hear them now, some of them remind me of these scenes. Score by uh, David Newman, cousin of Randy Newman. Ooh. All right. I have some what's age the worst. Same. The narrator. <laughs> I think is bad. And yeah. there's a reason the narrator's bad. It was the writer and director, David Evans, like spend the extra 10 bucks and get like Tim Robbins to come in and do like whoever you need, get, get somebody <laughs> with a cool voice just to come in for three hours and bang out the lines. Why are you doing it? It's such an easy fix. And half of those lines are, we were in the biggest pickle <laughs> I had ever seen. Right, right. I don't know why they did that. Uh, yeah. Another would say it's the worst. It's a bummer that nobody became a breakout star mm -hmm. from this cast. Like, yeah. it, it, this is a more fun movie if, like, Leo DiCaprio is the sixth lead. And then you're like, oh, my God, Leo DiCaprio. I can't believe he was in this. It's so crazy. But just... It's one of those movies where nobody ends up being that person. We don't even get like a Fred Savage or even Thomas Ian Griffith went on to do American Pie after Rookie of the Year, you know? Um, <laughs> so that's weird. Um, another What's Age the Worst? This is a weird one, but Karen Allen as the mom, it was a bigger deal in 1993 than I think it is now. Because mm -hmm. you're talking 11 years after Raiders of the Lost Ark. Sure. You see Karen Allen, like she's, she was still, she had a lot of, lot of weight at that point and gave the movie like real credibility. Now it's weird. 27 years later, Dennis Leary, I think is more kind of known, you know, oh, from the last 27 yeah. years it, Bill. over the female lead of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think since you're, you're mentioning mom and 
stepdad Bill, we can talk about the parenting more generally in the movie for a second as yeah, to what's age the worst contender. My goodness. So obviously, in general, the, oh, go play with your friends, like offhands vibe is is just of, a, of the time, right? Very familiar, even I think to, to people my age and Mina's age, like go yep. ride your bike with yes. your friends for a few hours. I'll see you at dinner. Okay, fine. It's it's a couple other things specifically. Obviously, Bill ignoring Smalls and Smalls having to just like keep asking him to teach him how to play catch is just heartbreaking. Yeah. And then Smalls' mom making him feel like a loser for being smart. I just can't. <laughs> this is so rough. I was all appalled watching this. Like, Scotty, have you made any friends yet? No. Why not, honey? Well, g- give me a fucking day or two, mom. Like, this is like, it's real like I'm trying my best Jennifer territory to that, me. That, that scene where she's like, we don't want this to be like last summer where you stayed indoors and did science all day. In 2020, if a kid stayed indoors and did science all day, Paris would be fucking thrilled. Yeah. They'd yeah. be like, oh, great. I have a STEM genius here. Don't play baseball. Exactly. Like, she discourages him from doing smart kid things. He says, face it, I'm just an egghead. And she says, honey. You'll always be just an egghead with an attitude like that. I I hope that when Smalls invented his tech business, his app way down the road (laughs) and cashed in for billions, he didn't give a cent to his mother. Well, he was derailed. He just became an announcer. If she hadn't pressured him to play baseball, he probably would have founded Facebook. Here's the thing. He's keeping the signed balls just right out there in his booth. You know, so I, I think maybe he has another income stream coming on the side from his like mm. personal inventions. That's that's my pet theory. What He's do we think happened to Smalls's dad? Was it a divorce or was it like no? He guy died. Got hit by a train. Died when he was young. Died when he was young. He said he died. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, I missed that part. Any number of tragedies could have befallen the family. And Dennis Leary just stepping in. Yeah. Well, well barely. You know, he was like, all right, I'll marry you. I just don't don't ask me to spend any time whatsoever with your child. And here's he a, seems a angry when he calls him dad. Yeah. No. Well, you know, like at least he had time to take a oozing graying steak out of the freezer to slap on his kid's face. <laughs> oh, my God. I had that as what changed the worst. Putting Horrible. steak on a black eye. <laughs> that would never happen now. It's like Hagrid taking a piece of dragon services. meat. Awful. Yeah. Um, th- we mentioned the erector set, the catapult. It just seemed a little too elaborate for 1962. The I Babe Ruth part. dream, that guy just didn't seem like Babe Ruth. Plus, he had the Field of Dreams backstory from yeah. four years earlier where I'm still thinking he's that guy. And it's like, you're not Babe Ruth. Come on. Um, this is my my son's what's aged the worst. The picture of the Sandlot kids at the very end, they show that great color picture of them. And he's like, why would that picture be in color? It wouldn't it be black and white? And I was like, that's a great catch, Benson. Because wow. he's you right. Lie. They wouldn't have that picture in color in 1962. There's no way. Um, and then we had Wendy Peppercorn, the name, in what's age the best. <laughs> I guess we don't have to spend 20 minutes on this, but I guess the, the pool scene and roping the lifeguard into making out with you maybe in 2020 would have some ramifications. I texted Mallory. I really don't want to talk about consent vis-a-vis Tony Peppercorn. It's fine. But it definitely would not would not fly today. In particular, the part where he grabs her head is the part where I think I was like, oh, damn, I didn't remember that part. 
I yeah. watched. Tricking her and into the kiss. And then he's rewarded kiss. for it. That Sorry. This is the thing. I think ultimately, you know, there's the, the, the tricking her into the kiss. Horrible, obviously. The narration really adds to the cringe factor. You know, he had kissed a woman and he had kissed yes. her long and good. Like, the skin crawling, listening to that really yikes <laughs> stuff. And... You know, again, you guys, you guys have both mentioned things about that general pool sequence that you like. And I think I think most of the pool sequence is very much in this tradition, like Fast Times, Linda. Yeah. You know, even Billy from Stranger Things more recently, a direct homage to the Fast Time sequence, of course. It just when you're watching it in 2020, the the way that that all concludes just really, really, really does not age well. Tough. Well, then they circle back near the end. And they're like, "Get married, nine Wendy, kids." Wendy kind of gave her a wink, gave him a wink, a, or whatever. A great lesson for kids. It, the, the, Yikes. That scene, like you, you kind of don't really buy it. By the way, some of the stuff, like when the boys are like, "She knew exactly what she was doing." I'm like, I don't really see those kids being there, like emotionally. Yet it felt a little bit like they skipped a a beat. I suppose yeah. they seem younger. Casting what ifs. Um, mm. The older and the younger Benny were played by real life brothers. That's right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Pablo Vitar and Mike Vitar. Oh. I think it's Vitar. I don't know how to say it. The casting directors originally wanted the kids to be nine and 10 years old. They started casting, realized that was too young, upped it a couple years. And then, if you want to go super uh, intense, the guy who played Yeah, Yeah, originally read for Bertram, didn't get mm-hmm. Bertram, wasn't the first choice for Yeah, Yeah kid who was cast for yeah yeah got sick and that kid came in late so he <laughs> wally pipped him best that guy aka the joey pants award so the guy's name is art lafleur the guy who played babe ruth who was also the guy in field of dreams who yeah, was like Chick the Handel. sarcastic talk to i think it was the guy who said what a mm-hmm. dick tag ty cobb was or they wouldn't let ty cobb play that guy's name is art lafleur i'm giving it to him what about the, him for that guy patrick renna I feel like when you see him, you know, on like a CSI episode or something, you're like, oh, that guy. <laughs> you see him. Ham. What has he been in? <laughs> I don't know stuff. if he's a that guy, though. I just think he's ham. I don't think he's a that guy. Hmm. You okay. see him and it's like, hey, it's the great Hambino. <laughs> like he's <laughs> almost transcended that guy's status. Okay, he's that's become fair. the character. That's fair. Uh, okay. The Vincent Hanna, give me all you got a word for best overacting. Squint styles it up. Squints, oh. is go- Squints is going for it. And that's where he'll be for the rest of his life. Because when Mr. Myrtle asked the cops how long he had to keep the beast chained up like a slave, he said until forever. 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 I have him for another category. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I'm so glad about 10 rewatchables ago, we added the Brandy Booth Award for best performance by a pet. I give Hercules 10 out of 10 chewies. Remarkable. I I think it's a tour de force. Remarkable. He's this terrible beast. And yet when the fence lands on him, as Mallory pointed out, it's really sad. And you're like, no. But, But he isn't this terrible beast. That's the thing. No. He just, he's taking the balls because he just wants to play fetch. He just wants to have this interaction. It's like so heartbreaking. He just wants to mm. hang out with the neighborhood kids. He just wants to play like the way he sits there so peacefully watching their game in his little t-shirt at the end. <laughs> I love it. What a remarkable dog. The scene where he licks 
Scotty is really cute because you know he's going to, and then he he delivers like a full, full like Beethoven style lick, and it's perfect. Yeah. By the way, I, I'm going to go with adult Smalls for the overacting. Oh, yeah. ooh, that's great. Good yeah. call, Arliss. Yeah. I like it. That guy hasn't gone on too much. Um, English Mastiff. That was the dog. Uh, Apparently, this kind of merges with half-assed internet research, but five, five of them playing her because of the heat while mm. they were filming. Mm. Dion Waiters Award for the best heat check. This is Squints. Well, but he's- Is he so just in too much of it? They're in the movie a lot, the kids. It's tough yeah. to- So I don't, we're in weird territory with the Dion Waiters thing because if it's somebody who's not in the movie that much, you got to give it to James Earl Jones. If you're giving it to one of the kids who's not a central mm. character but is a side character, it's probably Squints. I don't know what the answer is. We're still litigating the rules in the rewatchables four <laughs> years in. I think James Earl Jones is really good in that scene, though. Do He's you great. think so? I, I, I just like him. I know we, we like him, but I recently watched the movie Best of the Best. Oh, yeah. Eric Jane Roberts. asked me to. Yeah. James Earl Jones is so bad in it yeah. that it got me questioning, is he actually a good actor or does he oh just God. have a cool way about him? What a take. It's unbelievable. I don't, I don't know where to go. <laughs> oh I'm my so glad God. this is like an hour and a half in, so a lot of people hopefully- I did not think we were going to get a James Earl Moonlight Jones Are we sure he's good on this pod. <laughs> well, he, okay, he's, the, so, he, he's so charismatic. He, See, here's the thing. I yeah, think no I like matter what movie he's in, what role he's playing, just the charisma is in Infectious. There's this magnetic pull where you are sucked into the scene. And that's just hmm. not something that, uh, not an ability that everybody possesses. You knew Babe Ruth? George? I sure did. And he knew me. He was almost as great a hitter as I was. I would have broken his record too, but. You went blind? Yep. I used to crowd the plate so that strike zone almost disappeared. Pitchers hate that. That's the way I played, 100% all the time. Baseball. I love it. He's <laughs> he's not great in Best of the Best, but I like that he's in there. That movie is on. It's on one of the streaming services. I noticed it. It's on like HBO Max or Peacock or one of those. Half yeah, Fast Internet Research. This movie was originally called The Boys of Summer. The author of Boys of Summer, Roger Kahn, said, "No, you're not calling it that." Threatened to sue, and they had to change it. I'm actually glad it's called The Sandlot. Yeah. Yeah. We mentioned um, two of the actors in this movie starred in D2, The Mighty Ducks, which is uh, for our friend Rember Brown, the godfather of sports movies. Um, the Vincent Drugstore, that scene when Smalls first goes to the Sandlot, was also used in Halloween 4 and Halloween 5. Right. It's yeah. a gamut of, gamut of movie locations for that. The chewing tobacco from the carnival scene made out of licorice and bacon bits. Mm. And they had to keep filming and filming. And the kids eventually really did get as sick as they were supposed to be in the movie because it was just <laughs> disgusting. Huh. That, that stuff I saw beef there. jerky as well. Beef jerky was one of the props they used. Mm. Delicious. <laughs> Mr. Myrtle shows the boys a photo of himself with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, obviously retouched. Real photo, the though. Jimmy who Fox. was in there was Jimmy Fox, yeah. who that later uh, became the model for A League of Their Own. So there you go. It all comes around. The real life squint sued and won and then got reversed in the in the Court of Appeals. But uh, his name was Michael Polideros. 
childhood classmate of the writer-director, David Mickey Evans, Rough one. claimed Squints was based on him, was derogatory, caused him shame and humiliation. I I guess because of the pool scene? So anyway, Definitely he- not at the time. He won. I thought he was so cool. Yeah, he won. He sued 20, 20th Century Fox. He won. And then- um, and then they overturned it. Did you know the plot for the Sandlot Three heading home? Uh, no, I do know that there's a that they they kind of turn the you know another like what's age the worst contenders the the mm. main insult being you play ball like a girl and they kind of turn that on its head and introduce a prominent. Just about to guess. I bet there's like a girl character. I think that's in Sandlot 2 though, right? I'm I'm not sure about the Mm. Luke Perry vehicle. I can't say that I've seen these sequels. Mm. And it's Wendy Peppercorn's daughter, thus, you know, canceling out the sins of Sandlot (laughs) 1. Well, the plot of Sandlot 3, Luke Perry Mm -hmm. stars as Tommy Santa Santorelli. He gets knocked back to 1976 from 2005 and relives his childhood. It's a time travel movie. it's a time travel movie. Oh, that I love time travel awful. movies. Oh, I'm, I might have to check this out, honestly. Apparently Squints <laughs> is in it, too. The, re- ch- the guy reprised Squints is in it. Robes. The Squints. actor. Oh. Okay. Well, you mentioned a movie arrest. So Benny, a.k.a. Mike Vitar, felony assault. Yeah. He was a firefighter. Conflicting reports on what was going on. Somebody was ha- handing out Halloween candy who seemed creepy and things escalated. The guy who played Smalls, Tom Geary, headbutted a cop. He went to jail. And then uh, Mike York, who is another one in the crew, he had a suspicion of domestic assault. So only three arrests. I, I actually was worried it was oh. like five or six. So we're, we're still less than 50% with the cast. Okay. If you're looking for silver linings. Matt was horrified. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, if anything, is a real never meet your heroes moment for girls of a certain age. Yeah. Once I saw that, I was upset. Apex Mountain. Every kid in this movie? Yeah. Every kid in the movie. Yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> the director as well. English Certainly. Mastiffs? I think Ooh. not necessarily English Mastiffs, but I think specifically swinging dog balls. Oh. You know, the very, <laughs> very, very, very prominent... Thing testicle cam that we have throughout the Benny Pickles the Beast sequence the number of shots where her an interesting decision it's just a lot of dangling dog dick just a lot of it (laughs) a lot lot of dog genitals they could have CGI'd the balls made them a little smaller (laughs) they speaking of CGI like all the special effects or quote unquote special effects everything about the dog is the puppet is badly It's so poorly done. Yeah. Like this, the sound effects sound like they're coming from a different movie, like playing in a different TV somewhere, which you can make an artistic case for it. Well, it's a kid, it's a kid's memory. So everything's amped up. And of course a dog can't throw something over a fence on its own. But I don't think that was the, I don't think there was a lot of artistic, the, you know, reasoning behind I, the it. The only, I'll attempt one devil's advocate. <laughs> counterpoint this is a generous interpretation but you know what are they what what movie do they run through during the the chase scene it's the wolf man so i do think there is this mm. element of kind of heightening the terror of the the beast that you perceive right but you know also the effect just wasn't very good 
for Apex Mountain, would you go little kid baseball movies or do you think it was Bad News Bears and Bad News Bears Breaking Training? I still think that's the answer. Bad News Bears was a phenomenon in the 1970s. It made, I think it made probably like eighth or ninth highest gross for that year for baseball movies, spawned a couple sequels. So I, I feel like that has to be it, but I had to mention it. A League of Their Own was really big for my generation, mm -hmm. another popular substitute teacher choice. That but that's actually an adult movie. Has, yeah. Well, kids, we were allowed to watch it. I, I'd actually be interested in rewatching that and seeing how much of it was appropriate for children because I watched it a lot as a kid. But I mean, I have generational bias. Apex Mountain for swinging dog balls, or was there another movie that did it better, Mel? <laughs> that's my pick. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to rewatch Beethoven for weighing in. I still love Beethoven. Nits. Oh, I, I mentioned this earlier. I got a Smalls. Could any little kid really be that bad at baseball that didn't have like some sort of disorder? Like, could you be a 12 year old boy and not be able to throw a ball two feet? But he can two feet. throw it. He can throw it ultimately. Initially, the first the time he has catch with Dennis Leary, he just basically drops the ball as he was throwing. Like, I, I've never seen that in my life. You could take, believe me, my I have a son who plays different sports. I've seen some unathletic kids in my day. There is nothing remotely <laughs> compared to that. He just needs to find the Maybe confidence. He just has the yips. Yeah, there you go. Well, it, Dennis Leroy never makes any effort to actually. He just keeps saying, "Watch it," and then <laughs> he doesn't it teach face, him at all. Doesn't teach him at all. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, the narrator says Hercules lived to be 199 years old. Yeah. So I did the dog math on this. It's seven. Yeah, it's yeah. 28, 28 and a half, something like that. I'm positive that an English Mastiff couldn't live to. 28 and a half. I've never heard of any dog living in 28 and a half. I don't know why they did that. That was stupid. Speaking of the dog. <laughs> all right. I'm so sad. the dog's in the backyard all day on a chain. And his only parent is a blind guy. That backyard should be covered in shit. I mean, covered. <laughs> it should have land, dog shit landmines everywhere. Oh, God. It yeah. should, the ball should just land in shit when you hit a home run. <laughs> There's no, who's picking up the shit? He also never walks him, right? Because no. otherwise then they wouldn't they wouldn't know something about him. That dog is living a pretty miserable life. Yeah, Mal, do you have any PETA concerns on the on, on I, I Hercules? I think that Hercules and Mr. Myrtle probably have a very special bond and are both misunderstood by the the cruel forces at play in a suburban neighborhood where the bias settles in before you give anybody a chance. And it's I, I think it's distressing. And I'm glad that they both got to show their their true spirits at the end of the film. I am sure that Hercules, you know, do I do I love that he's out there all day chained? I do not. Do I love that he's out there in the beating sun all day? No. I'd like to think, you know, look, he we saw that he buried 150 baseballs in one neat little pile. Maybe he's learned a, a certain bathroom etiquette that he discovered on his own. He seems very advanced to me. And again, he's he's mature, you know, 28 by the end of things. I mean, he's had, <laughs> he's he's had experience. This part. You know, uh, I, I have another take. Yeah, that just occurred to me about the uh, Myrtle and Hercules. If I was Dennis Leary, okay, so I'm I'm the stepdad, and my kid comes back and he's like, "Hey, Dad, I have this 1927 Yankees ball that a strange man gave to me. <laughs> I have to see him once a week, but it's yours now." I'd be alarmed. Yeah, the parents no one asks any questions. They're That's just a good call. 
They're not asking any follow-ups. Speaking of the ball, I had a slight nitpick. So they spelled Babe Ruth's name wrong on the ball, and you think it's going to pay off, but then it's just never addressed again. It almost feels like a deleted scene or something, but they add the E to the end, and it's like, oh, this is going to backfire. And it's like a red herring. It's like the Russians going into the woods in The Sopranos. (laughs) It's just never... It, it takes you in this direction that's just never addressed oh, again. I don't know if it was Fine intentional parents. or not. That That's one of my nitpicks too. Because I think that even though Benny's not necessarily portrayed as a brainiac, he is such a, a student of the game that you would think he would know how to spell Babe Ruth's name. He was he was smart in his own way. Well. Benny's emotional. Emotional. is just defending Benny to the bitter end. His eyelashes and, were so much longer than I remembered. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> Mallory, more nitpicks. What do you have? I have a few. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry to I'm sorry to to bring this up. I just Oh no. I cannot believe that none of those boys had ever seen a Playboy magazine. I cannot believe it and I don't believe it. In nineteen sixty two. It's just it's not it's not possible. What was the treehouse and the general clubhouse and really the whole sandlot experience for if not to share porn with each other and go like Look at it. I, you know, I just don't, I don't believe that young boys in the 60s did not find a way. To, by the way, especially creepy youngsters who were saying pool honeys, which we have not talked about yet. Right. Pool I just honey. don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Fair point. Next. They didn't know how to, they didn't know how to look uh, for porn or make s'mores. It's just, just who no were way. these kids? There's just no way. I mean, they're popping into mm. drugstores multiple times per day to buy, you well, know, candy and baseballs. Especially given that they're so horny for Wendy. So on one hand, right. you've got this information, and on the other right. hand, yeah, and no point. This, these are kids who've gotten their hands on chewing tobacco. We know that one of them, Bertram, right. he ends up getting lost to the the drug craze of the '60s. These kids <laughs> had Playboys. That's I'm sure of it. Okay. There should have been some baseball cards in that treehouse too. They could have thrown in some 1962 tops, couple packs. I, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up a baseball card because I have a, a new pick on on the the Hank Aaron card. Mm. Now I know this is oh. a dream sequence, okay? But even in a dream, I you cannot convince me that Benny would give away even to Babe Ruth and even in a dream a Hank Aaron rookie yes. card. This is the summer of '62. Okay, which means even if we're not factoring in the 62 season and the stats that Hank would have accumulated during that season from 54 to 61, he had 253 home runs. You don't give away that rookie card. You just don't do it. Benny. It's a dream. Obviously, he's not dreaming about women because he's never seen porn. Oh, my God. True. And then (laughs) speaking of precious baseball memorabilia, Bill, Papa Bill. You have a signed Babe Ruth baseball and you don't put it in a protective case of any kind. Mm. Like this little stand that it's on is horseshit. Put it in a glass or a plastic case. Like treat I don't think that they had the that, that in 1962. I, I think I what? honestly probably come on. It's probably how they did it back then. I was legitimately creeped out no when way. the mom is like, you know, he doesn't like it when he touches your stuff. I was like, yo, he bit him on purpose. I knew it in the beginning. Like there was something so creepy about Bill. And I I was struck by the memorabilia room because like ultimately the, the film is about memorabilia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is ex- an extremely 90s thing because memorabilia was peaking around then. You would know more about memorabilia than me, Bill, but I think it was like the peak of cards and all of that, right? 
in, nine, in the early 90s, yeah. It, that, it started to take off mid-80s, and early 90s was when it got like, oversaturated. You would never have a signed baseball or a signed card or something be like the pivotal object in a movie right now. Even though they still have a lot of value. It just doesn't oh carry God. the same Boy, weight in the public imagination. should Google what, yeah. some of those, what some of those items are worth today. These people just giving them away left and right. Could be cashing <laughs> in $150,000, et cetera. Relatedly, by the way, another nitpick here. Yeah. Why, did I miss something? Why does Smalls go to get the signed baseball to play with? We know he has another baseball because he and Bill played catch with it and it hit him in the face. Why doesn't he use that one? I don't understand. What's he doing? Yeah, that's tough. What's he that's really doing? Good point. I don't Wait, understand. Wait, speaking of the baseballs, do we really think an individual baseball costs 98 cents in 1962? My son and I were doing mm, the math on this. Know. I don't know. It's, that's a good question. That that's like, like what is that, like $15 now for one mm. baseball? Another nitpick, when they get into James Earl Jones's yard and, you know, meet him for the first time, no one ever tells him his fence fell over. Okay, this He's is, blind. He has no idea. This is a huge problem for him, <laughs> ostensibly. Mina, not only that, they don't repair it. In the final sequence, <laughs> well, the, before we get to the future sequence at Dodger Stadium, when Smalls is telling us what life every character went on to and they're vanishing from the sandlot as he talks about them, they're just playing in front of a gaping fucking hole in the backyard. Nobody offers to fix that fence for Mr. Myrtle. Well, how is that acceptable? Yeah. Horrible neighborhood etiquette, especially build, when they bond. They could build an erector set, but they can't like put the fence back up. Exactly. It's pretty terrible. In, it's pretty indefensible. Terrible mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, all right. Best quote. I mean, you're killing me. Smalls became. Yes. The iconic quote from this movie, and it, and it's still said. I haven't had anything yet, so how can I have some more of nothing? Shut up! You're killing me, Smalls. Classic. And it's, it's a still classic. a thing. Mal, give us three more. You're limited to three. Okay. Um. Hmm. I do love the <laughs> the Babe Ruth dream sequence. Inspirational. Pep talk. Let me tell you something, kid. Everybody gets one chance to do something great. Most people never take the chance either because they're too scared or they don't recognize it when it spits on their shoes. This is your big chance and you shouldn't let it go by. That's a great one. And of course, there's also the 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 heroes and legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Quote in that same sequence. Um, it's a good one. I do love when Mina's uh, least favorite actor, James Earl Jones, is regaling the children with the tales of his life and his glorious achievements. And he says, baseball was life and I was good at it. <laughs> I just love that. That could be in the natural, that kind of line. Baseball was life and I was good at it. Real good. And then one day, a high fast one and pow, the lights went out. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. I'm going to take a while to recover from the James Earl Jones mean of feud. <laughs> I, oh God, this is, this is my it's most really cancelable take so far. And I, I well, guarantee the Ravens about, victory. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You did on this very podcast talk about Betty the Jets' eyelashes. So it's. Um. No, nothing is cancelable. <laughs> That's going to be cut, so they're going to be confused when you say You're it. channeling <laughs> your, you, the spirit of your youth. Okay, wait. I have two quotes yeah. um, that haven't already been brought up. One yeah. is one that I did not understand as a child, but understood as an adult which is when Ham calls Scotty an L7 weenie. Classic. 
Come on, Benny, man. The kid is a L7 weenie. Yeah, yeah. Oscar Mayer, even. Foot long. Dodger dog. A weenie. <laughs> so as a kid, I was like, mm. L7. And Google didn't exist back then. Not even Alta Vista or Dogpile. So I had no way of finding out what an L7 weenie was. It's a square. L7 weenie. Uh, so I enjoyed that. And then I enjoyed the part where they're talking about the beast. And I actually forgot to write down who says it. I assume Ham, but maybe someone else. And says, we're, de- we're clearly dealing with a superior intelligence here. I just thought that was so funny. Great stuff. I'll just say that being compared to a... Oscar Mayer or Dodger Dog or some other delectable culinary delight would I would think that was a compliment for what it's worth. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? Well, we do know that Disney Plus is making a movie about uh with the original cast. I'm fearful. I'll just yeah. I'll just lay it down there. I think most people will give the first one a chance unless the reviews are terrible, but odds are not great. Uh probably unanswerable questions. Hmm. hmm. Smalls ruining the Babe Ruth ball more or less defensible than Cameron ruining his dad's Ferrari and Ferris Bueller. If you said that, what was a more aggressively hostile act toward a parent? I don't know if this was aggressively hostile. I think it was just foolish and misguided. I don't think Smalls did this because he had ill will in his heart. I think he's a sweet little guy. Cameron, who's a terrible son. He was basically the Menendez um, brothers before we had the Menendez brothers. I, all right, since I've already been canceled twice on this podcast, I agree. And I've never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh. Oh, man. So, wow. All right. Yeah. That's your homework assignment. Um, why didn't Benny become a huge star in real life? What was that kid missing? Apparently, an empathy gene based on his later arrest. Um, but, I don't know because, like I s- said, he was perfect. Maybe some kids, they just grow into adults and they just lose the magic. No, maybe, maybe it. it wasn't what he wanted. Who knows? Yeah, he became a firefighter, but it, again, problematic firefighter. But his performance, I thought, was pretty good, too. It's not He's not a bad actor. He's not ham, but he's fine. They're all lost in ham's shadow. Ham, Ham, Ham's blowing everyone up. It's like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. He's just blowing people <laughs> off the screen. What uh, what kind of baseball career did Benny the Jet have, Mal? All right. He had to, did he Ooh. play 12 seasons, 15 seasons? Like, let's really break this down. I, I spent so much time thinking about this. And it's hard to figure out because you have kind of the player comp question but also the time frame question. Like, when are we, w- w- where are we in time? When so he's coming that? into baseball early 70s, coming out of like the dead ball era, where if you were an outfielder who could steal some bases, they didn't really care about on base back then. You know, I, I do think he could have, like maybe gets, he's on the Oakland A's with a 310 on base, but like 50 steals, but he's been thrown out 28 times. And he's oh, like one has one of those kind of careers. So the announcing that we get in conjunction with the the steal of home is they say the Jets lost a step or two. So clearly this is like the end of his career, right? This is maybe which makes one of me his, think fifteen yes, years, right? Last moments of glory. Clearly, then he had longevity and sustainability. 
despite that, the comps that I had in mind for the type of player he is, they don't sustain. Uh, they, 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 these players did not sustain their success. I kind of viewed him as like a 2011 Jacoby Ellsbury type or like Grady Sizemore hmm. before the injury bugs derailed his career, like 20 some homers, 30 some steals. That kind of 20 homer, 30 steal potential because we know that he has power. So his nickname, his moniker, the sobriquet, the legend builds up around the speed because of the pickling. But we know that he's a power bat too. So I don't want to lose sight of that. Brought in to, to pinch run, conceal home. Clearly his well, speed is the defining characteristic, but he could hit homers. He had a power bat. That That's why I was confused because he's brought in to pinch run, yet then we're also told that he's old, which doesn't quite square. Um, the Most of the movie is set in 1962. So even if it's, I guess, the movie came out in 93, but even if it's like the 80s, he's probably in his late 30s if he was 12 or something at the time. I don't know. I just think if you're a ball player and you have that Keith Hernandez-esque mustache oh, man. look to you, you've had a long career. There's no question. Like, he still carried himself. I the like swagger the- of his younger self. I like the Grady Sizemore thing. I was thinking Brady Anderson, if the if the if the mysterious fifty homer, whatever the hell might have happened chemically season hadn't happened. Not sure happened. what you mean. Not sure what you First mean. First half of the nineties, Brady Anderson. <laughs> no, like that's a pure and important part of Baltimore Royals history. And I'm not, mm. not not sure what you mean. <laughs> like he's hitting two ninety, thirteen homers. 29 steals. Yeah. Like one of those, a couple, couple gold gloves, maybe like two or three. Mm. Yeah. I, <sighs> I read, I, I don't know um, how reliable the, the Sandlot wiki is. And again, I, I don't know what happens in the ensuing installments that counts as legitimate canon, but I did see on his Sandlot wiki that he went on to manage the Dodgers. I'm not sure if that's, Canon or that? I don't How is know. that in there? What? I don't know. It's just, it's just in there in the, in the wiki. You can you can you can put fan fiction on a Wikipedia. Well, well I'm gonna add my own section. Benny the Jet also married Mina Kimes, and people will just do that. think that's how the movie so do it. Bill, you, you just mentioned you mentioned Tommy Lasorda, but that gets us to another unanswerable question. Yeah. Oh. Smalls is just up there in Chavez Ravine calling games. Yeah, Vince. So Cullen, I gotta is know. Dead? Is he yeah, dead? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What happened also, to Ben in this scenario? Like, a little biased. He was sick. Right? A little biased. Is he maybe calling games for, I don't know, another feed or something? An alternate? No, he's he's based there. Sandlot. He had all his, you know, bobblehead. Or the you know what's funny? This was such, I had this written down. This was such an easy fix. You just make him Vince Gully's partner and then you get Vince Gully to be in the movie. Vince Cully, he would have been in any movie. He's in like yeah. 10 of them, but you make him like Vince Cully's Vin doesn't need a partner, color guy, though, you know? And then it's like, I'm here with blah, blah, blah. And then he can set up Smalls. Blah, blah, blah. As always, I'm here with, yeah. what was Smalls' well, first name? Do we even know? Scotty. Touch of very similar to <laughs> yeah. Scotty. Yeah. Scotty Smalls. Um, I, I had one more Benny the Jet baseball question, Mel, because mm. you okay. think 1962, mm. these kids are 12. Well, we know that I don't think they're all 12 because there's the line 11? in the opening where Small says that was like a rough way to wrap up fifth grade. Yeah. Right. So that so would ele- make him Let's 10. go 11. 10, 10 or 11. Well, Benny's I was, older. I, was I mean, he's already grade ended. <laughs> Benny's already gone through puberty. So I'm going 11. Um, <laughs> 1962, 11. So he gets to the league 
let's say 1973. Okay. So now, and he's got a 20-year career because the Sandlot's in real time. So maybe he's early 40s in Sandlot. Whatever. My point is, comes in the league in 73. He's had some real success in the by 79, 80s, probably all-star team. But then you know what happens in the in the early 80s in baseball. Cocaine. Oh it's everywhere. Does oh Benny God. the Jet does Benny the Jet have a couple dark <laughs> moments? He's got the mustache. This is an easy That's one. Suspicious. Yeah, yeah. That, did you it's see the mustache? It's a very cokey looking mustache. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do we think he was in one of the drug scandals? I say yes. I have no evidence at all. <sighs> I'm going to say no only because we hear so often that baseball was Benny's entire life. Now, maybe that meant he did anything he needed to to hang on to his youth, to hang on to that sense of possibility. But I think he was just... I mean, in some ways, he was the L7 weenie. Like, he was really the square. Again, I, I, I loved Benny when I was a kid, but he just really only thought about one thing ever. Mm. And so I think he, baseball was just such a pure ambition to him and such a sacred thing that I, I think he tried to tried to stay clean. That's my hope for Benny. Did, did he only think about one thing, though? Because if he really only cared about baseball, would he have been so nice to Smalls? I mean, they could have found a ninth player anywhere and a guy who knew how to throw a baseball. So back to him. I feel like he had a real human side to him. I also feel like he definitely did coke. <laughs> he came out of it, came out of it, case. cleaned up, and then ended up on that 1988 Dodgers team that won the World Series. It was huge. It had a big role <laughs> down the stretch there with Hershiser and Gibby. Read it on the Sandlot Wiki. <laughs> Good redemption story. This is a tough one. Who won the movie? Um, because instinctively you want to say Benny the Jet. What are you talking about? But I got to be honest, the Great Hambino yeah. is really overpowering, and I I don't know. It's a toss up. I at gunpoint I'm saying Benny the Jet, but it was closer than I expected. I I'm going with Hammer or Hercules. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just they they're the real standouts, especially on a rewatch. You know, Benny's mm. the thing you you long for and you think about when you're a young person, but when you return to it as an adult, Ham and Hercules just stealing scene after scene. They really are. Easily mm. could have been a spinoff with just the two of them. No, oh, surprised. That would have been a better Sandlot too. Who do you not, have, Mina? It's not too late. Um, I'm gonna go outside the box, even though it seems like a two man race, and I'm gonna say the sport itself. I had because that the too. Yeah. It's an it's it's an argument I agree. for baseball for baseball's sake, right? And, and you know, I, the kids don't care about winning or losing. And today that's participation trophy culture, but they really truly don't care, which is weirdly believable, even though that would like seem to be getting so worked up I'm spitting. It would seem to be like <laughs> unrealistic that not a single one of those kids was like, you know, let's play a game. We're pretty good guys. Like, let's yeah, challenge let's do, another five team. on five <laughs> once in a while, but they never do. They're all just happy to play. And, you know, that's sort of the point of the movie. They say it's America's pastime, you know? Well, you knew who I knew she wasn't going to say there, James Earl Jones. That's true. <laughs> Bill, I, I fell really short <laughs> in best of the best in this movie for me to. Bill, what is he good in? <laughs> Is, have you ever heard Darth Vader utter a line, Mina? I, I find your I lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> I did read somewhere the kids were really excited because he had just come off playing Darth Vader mm. to meet him, which I found very. Uh, before we go, I rarely do this, but producer Craig, who doesn't oh, like boy. really any of the movies we pick in the rewatchables, but was <laughs> out of his mind what? excited for this one. 
Craig, big, big week for you. You're excited. Yeah. Uh, one thing I feel like that you guys didn't mention was that this movie created, I would think, a top five or 10 Halloween costume of all time for movies. So many people are squints and Wendy Peppercorn, which may not have aged well. Is that true? Everyone in college. <laughs> really? Oh it's God, like a so couple? Many, what? Yes. So many people in college so are about, Wendy and squints for Halloween. I did not know that. And I am it's absolutely huge. distressed. Just like Google it. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. I had no idea. No. Yeah. It's super because it's really easy to do. They get the glasses, the girl wears like a red thing, and you have like a wiffle ball bat and you're done. Craig, who won the movie? Benny or Ham? Ham. What was the great Ham, Ham Bino's wrestling career like? Oh, he definitely was at least an intercontinental champion. Might have even <laughs> been in a WrestleMania pretty high up in the card, but not main event. I think he was strong. <laughs> Ham stuck with everybody so much. The s'mores, the you're killing me. He has every iconic line in the whole movie. Yeah, I, I'm i with Craig. I think Ham wins the movie. All right, that's where we go. Hey, thanks for listening to The Rewatchables. Mina, they, you did like four straight hours of media just now. I'm really proud of you. I didn't know if you were going to hold up, especially on a Monday. I just love this movie so much, <laughs> this man. This great. It, it's great. It just makes me relive things. Well, you know, there Mallory, are heroes I thought- and legends, so. Mallory, I'm very proud of the restraint you showed you. at various points in the podcast. I thought it was a new, more mature side of you. As, I'll be as, releasing the director's cut with my other 47 pages of notes. So, <laughs> Craig, thanks as always. Uh, you can check the rewatchables on Wednesday because we're coming back with Teen Wolf. So you got two days to watch that one. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to listen to the Ringer Podcast Network. Mina, anything to plug before we go? Uh, just my podcast, Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. It's a football show. I've never been invited, but I heard it sounds good. And then <laughs> your new Ringer, your ESPN NFL show too. Ooh, yeah. Um, I'm going to be on NFL Live starting in mid-August. So check it out. Assuming there's a football season. Knock on wood. All right. Thanks, everybody. This is fun. Bye. 